It's either my beard or my shiny forehead. Usually that scares the little kids. Amen. Well, God bless you. It's good to see everybody here today. You know, uh, as I mentioned before, but, uh, before we came back, I, I had mentioned that uh, Sister Sifera had contacted me and, and asked me to preach about husbands because it was a, a family month in October. And so as I thought about that, and of course she spoke about wives last week, but as I thought about family month and, and, and speaking about husbands, I just, in my own heart, I just felt a burden, I believe, from the Lord to just continue talking about family matters. And so we don't want to say, okay, well, October's over, on to a new topic. No, let's, let's stay a little bit longer in the matters of family, okay? And so today, if we could turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis and also to 1 Peter, because last week in Pastor Sifera's message, she gave a reference to both 1 Peter and to a story, a specific story in Genesis. And that story from Genesis was the exact story I wanted to preach for today. So to, to sort of branch off of last week's sermon, let's continue reading that story from Genesis and make that connection we also saw in 1 Peter. Okay, so turn with me, if you will, to first of all, Genesis chapter 12. And I'm going to read a fairly lengthy story from chapter 12. And then also, if you can mark your page or, or, or get your phone ready to go also to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll read a few verses from there as well. All right, so a lot of reading for today. So let's stretch out our legs and stand in honor of God's Word. And may the Holy Spirit, by His Word, speak to all of us here today. Genesis chapter 12, the story begins here at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please, Say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that this was your wife? Why did you say, She's my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commended commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And in, in chapter 13, then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, 
And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar, which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And then if you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for bearing with me. Today's sermon is titled, Abram's Move. And this move may not be so obvious, but I think we'll find it as we continue reading this story. First of all, those verses that we just read from 1 Peter, you know, 1 Peter, the whole entire letter is about suffering. Suffering. And in the middle of that letter, Paul, uh, Peter talks about marriage. Well, you know, it's true that in times of trial, as Peter called it, various trials that we all go through in life, especially being Christian, through all the trials of life, those trials have a way of putting a stress upon the marriage life. Perhaps that trial could be financial problems that your family is facing. Financial problems can put your family, your marriage, in a stressful position. Making decisions about your children and their future can bring stress. What to do during a COVID-19 pandemic can cause stress in the marriage. And certainly, spiritual weakness or sin can put great strains upon the marriage relationship. For Abram and for Sarai, we have such a trial. Because in the book of Genesis, if you can flip that next screen there for me, it says in verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now you might be saying, well, that must be Abram's move that you're talking about. The fact that he went from Israel or Canaan down into Egypt. No, that's not the move we're talking about. But for Abram and Sarai, here is the moment of hardship. Here's the trial. A famine, a severe famine has come. Now, I don't think we can blame Abram for taking Sarai and Lot and his family down into Egypt. I'm not sure we can say that was the fault of Abram right there. Because in the Bible, you know, there were times where God warned his people, do not go down to Egypt. There were other times like this where God said nothing at all, whether it was good or bad. He didn't say anything about them going down to Egypt. And there are other times in the Bible where God actually tells his people, 
go down to Egypt. Many people look at the story and say, oh, Abram's great failure, his mistake, his horrible move was going from Canaan down into Egypt. Not necessarily. I think we need to give Abram some room. I think he was just trying to do what was best for his family in time of famine. No, the move I'm talking about today, Abram's move, is the move he made from the altar of God. You see, Abram, and then later Abraham, was a man of the altar. He always built altars. And those altars and the sacrifice upon the altar was Abraham's way of always submitting himself to God. It was his surrender, his obedience to God. It was not only his devotion and commitment and love for God, but it was Abram's way of saying, not my will, but yours be done, God. You're in charge. You're in control. I will do what you say. Now the thing is, you don't have to go far, but before Egypt, the Bible says Abram built two altars and called on the name of the Lord. After he came up from Egypt, you'll read again, he built two more altars and called upon the name of the Lord. But in Egypt, there were no altars, not one. And I believe Abram's move that caused a huge mistake in his own life was the move from the altar of God. And when he moved away from that altar, moved away from that place, it wasn't necessarily that he was moving from a place of the altar. It was a spiritual moving that he made. A spiritual moving away from trusting in God. Away from believing in God. And by moving, he, uh, moving away, he put matters into his own hands. Now, this past couple of weeks, I had a chance to talk to my oldest daughter, Rachel, who's in America right now, and she was just sharing with me that she found a good time during the day to systematically just read through the Bible, and she found that moment where she can just have a devotion with the Lord and pray and seek God's wisdom and help for her life. And wouldn't you know it, within a few days of finding that place, temptation started to come in her way, and then she started to experience many stresses and hardships at work and, and in her social life. It's not always the way it seems. When we start growing in God, things begin to come against us. And so I gave her advice, fatherly advice, about this and that. But my greatest advice to her was this. No matter what, do not leave that place you have made with God. Don't leave that altar, that devotion, that seeking God, that prayer life, do not leave that place in your heart. Because if you do, you will tend to try to solve problems with your own understanding. And just like Abram, most likely it'll lead you to failure, mistakes. So here comes Abram and Sarai going down into Egypt. And the Bible says, and it came to pass when he was close to entering into Egypt. Now you would think, okay, here's the moment. Build your altar, Abram. No, no, no. As he was entering Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Ah, oh, 
Abram. What a romantic man. No, don't let him fool you. That's not what he's talking about. Something else is churning in his mind. You see, because as Abram was moving from the altar, his thoughts began to wander in his mind, and they were almost wandering out of control. And his wandering thoughts began to dictate wrong actions. And so in today's sermon, I want to show you three results of Abram's move. When he moved from that place, that spiritual place of the altar, what were three results of that move? And as I discuss these things today, I pray that the Holy Spirit will do the work of tugging on your heart and pointing things out in your own life. Let's begin. Result number one, because of Abram moving from the altar, result number one was fear. Fear. Abram looks at his wife and he says to his beautiful wife, she was 65 years old, by the way, at the time, and still beautiful to behold. He says, therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Oh, how quickly fear sets in a person's heart when they are not looking unto God. It reminds me of that story we have in the Gospels. Do you remember Jesus came to his disciples walking on water as though it was a concrete sidewalk? And his disciples were in the boat, and Peter called out and said, Lord, if that is you, call me to come to you. And Jesus gave one word, one command, come. And Peter stepped over, his feet touched solid water, and he began walking. But then he saw, not Jesus, he saw the, the winds and the waves and the violence of it all, and fear took a hold of him just like that. It only took one look away from Christ and fear set in his heart and he began to sink into the water. Oh, how quickly Abram also, he forgot God's word. The moment he took his eyes off God, he had forgotten God's word. What do I mean? We'll just look back in Genesis once again. In chapter 12, in verse 2, listen to what God says to Abram. This is his word. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says over and over, I will, I will, I will. That was God's word to Abram. But what happens in fear? Abram takes his eyes off of God and he focuses on the Egyptians and he says, they will, they will, they will, they will say, they will kill me. They will let you live. This is what happens if we take our eyes off of God. We begin to fear and we forget God's word. Peter, don't you remember it was one word? Come. Don't worry about the waves. Don't worry about the violence of it all. He said, come, so go to Jesus. But in fear, he forgot. And so did Abram. 
And oh, how quickly we also forget God's word in time of fear. And in fear, we often think selfishly and therefore we plan foolishly. Let me say that again. In fear, we often think selfishly and therefore we plan foolishly. So what was Abram's plan? What is it you're going to do, Abram? You're afraid? Your eyes are not on God? You've forgotten his word? What's the plan, Abram? Here it is. Please say you're my sister. What? Now you know, just as extra knowledge here, Abram and Sarai were actually half-brother and sister. They shared the same father, but different mothers. So technically, it is his half-sister. But you know, this wasn't meant to be a, a source of information for the people. This was a half-lie that Abram was speaking. But you know, a half-lie is a whole lie in the eyes of God. So what he was doing was, he was telling the people, this is my sister. Because in Abraham's view of the people, if it was his wife, they would kill him and take her as a trophy. But if it's his sister, he's basically giving permission to anyone, if you want her as a wife, go ahead. What kind of a plan is that? Where did this foolish thought come from? This great dishonor to your wife, Abram, how can you think so foolishly and plan so foolishly? Remember where foolish plans come from. Selfishness. Look what he says. Please say, you are my sister, that it may be well with me. That it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. In other words, say you're my sister so that I will be accepted, I will be blessed, and I will live. And Sarai might say, well, what about me? Eh, that's beside the point. The point is, it's about me. It's about my safety, my blessing, and I need to stay alive. Foolish plan that came from selfish thinking. In Abraham's, or Abram's view, he was thinking about himself. In trials, whatever they might be, a move from God will lead to fear, will lead to selfishness, will lead to foolish plans and decisions. I believe that when we are in a right relationship with God, meaning that we are trusting in Him, we have that place of the altar burning in our hearts, I believe that God will always help us see others before ourselves. When you're right with God, you won't be selfish. You'll be selfless. You will consider others before yourself. Husbands, you are to consider your wife before you. Wives, you're supposed to consider your husband before yourself. How do you do that? Make sure you are submitted to God. Make sure you're submitted to the Lord and He will help you look at others' interests before your own. But trials have a way of mixing that order up and we become selfish. You know, it wasn't too long ago, maybe a couple of years ago, 
And I haven't really shared this with many people, but there are a couple of uh, moments of rocking in my life. There are a couple of trials that I face one after another after another. And may, this might be true of you as well, but for me, I can sort of, I think, pinpoint the beginning of it all when we said goodbye to our first daughter going off to college in Singapore. And the emotions of a father who just loves his kids, that separation, it, it was really difficult. That was a trial in my life. And then another trial came not too long after that when my youngest daughter was diagnosed with diabetes. And we almost lost her in the hospital. That was a very shaking moment in my life. That really shook me to the core. And that really challenged my faith in the Lord. And then immediately after that, we've got the whole COVID-19 thing happening. And everything's locking down. And I don't know how bad it's going to get. And you know, I may have been over-exaggerating how worried I was, but you know, being a foreigner, you know, I'm from America, being a foreigner, when something happens, it makes me wish I was back in that place that I know better in America. So my first thought when COVID started to creep into Samarang was maybe we should just go back to America for a while. Maybe we should just get out of here and go away for a while and let this whole thing kind of calm down. Those were just some of the natural things happening to me. Well, you know, through all of those different events of my life, it affected me in a way that I can't explain. It was almost like after experiencing all that, my emotions became very sensitive to things. And one of the examples was, you know, every time I preach and I stand here in front of all of you, I'm always nervous. My, my heart rate is always up. Maybe that's why I'm talking so fast when I preach. But I'm always nervous to preach in front of you, always. But I've always been able to just, okay, I'm going to preach anyway, no problem. But after all these events of my life, my emotions were exaggerating. Instead of being a little bit nervous, I was extremely nervous and almost afraid to stand here in front of you. It got so bad that as I was preaching to you, in my mind I could think, I'm so dizzy right now. I feel like I'm out of breath. I feel like I'm going to fall over. That's what was happening on the inside of me while I'm preaching to you. And it was happening for months after months. And I prayed about it and I said, God, what is wrong with me? Why do I go through this? I love to preach. It's what you call me to do. Why do I feel like I'm handicapped when I go up there to preach? One day I went for a walk in my neighborhood because I really needed to talk to God about this. And so I went out, took a walk, and I talked out loud to God. And I explained to him how I feel and what's going on, and I don't understand why it is this way. And as I began to express that, is that the yellow card already, Hendrick? I got a ways to go, so bear with me. Show me the red card in about 20 minutes. <laughs> no. I said, God, I need help with this. I, don't, I can't keep going on like this. What is wrong with me? And a thought occurred to me, and I believe he put it in my heart. And it was almost like a question, why do you do what you do? Why do you stand here and preach? Why do you do it? My answer was, God, first and foremost, I do it for you. For you. Because I believe you truly called me to do this. 
Number two, I do it for all these people. I do it for my church. And it began to change my mind about how I was feeling. Because every time I would walk up to this pulpit, in my mind it's, oh, how am I going to be today? What's it going to be like for me today? Am I going to get dizzy? Am I going to get out of breath? Is something going to happen? Instead, it's about God. It's about you. That's all I cared about. And God sort of transformed my mind to stop thinking about myself. Stop thinking about my own problems and my own weaknesses of life and think about others. And I tell you, this may not happen for everybody, I don't know, but like that, I was healed. Just like that. Not once did I feel the same way when I came here to the platform. Because it's about God and it's about you. The last person this is about is me. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't take care of our physical well-being and spiritual and mental well-being. I'm just saying this is what God did in me. The moment I began to stop being about me and start being more about you, it actually healed my mind, healed my heart, it healed my emotions. No fear. Now, it seems to me that Abram had forgotten about the altar, that spiritual place of trust and peace and confidence in the Lord. And as a result, he was afraid. And he began to think selfishly, and therefore he planned foolishly. And while Abram's eyes were on himself, the Egyptian's eyes were on his wife. And we have the second result, danger. First of all, he put Sarai in danger, didn't he? The Bible says, so it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Imagine that. He's putting his own wife in danger. And not only his wife, he's also putting the Egyptians in danger as well. It says, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Abram put his wife in danger, and he put the entire household of Pharaoh in danger because now they are suffering plagues, all because of his foolish plan. Abram's eyes were only on himself. The Egyptians' eyes were on his wife. But little did they know, the eyes of God were also upon Sarai. And I love what happens these plagues that come upon the household, God is protecting Sarai, protecting her honor, making sure that she will not be touched in this household of Pharaoh. And what I love about it all, I am astonished, astonished. Above all things in this story, I am astonished by the quietness of Sarai. You see, because we know what Abram says through all this, we know what the Egyptians say, we know what Pharaoh says, but we don't have any words of Sarai. She's so quiet. Just like Peter said in 1 Peter, there was a quietness about her. But in that quietness and in her submission, it was all about trusting in God. Even though my husband is making a horrible mistake, my trust is in God. Her eyes were on him. And in the story, those were the only eyes focusing on God. Now, I'll tell you this, today's modern woman 
would look at Sarai and say, no, 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 not me. We don't do that today. If that was a woman today, you get out of there. Get rid of that man. Kick him out. Don't you dare follow someone like that. Divorce him. Run him as far away as you can from him. Let that man drive his own life into the ground alone. But Sarai quietly and patiently followed. That was real trust. That was true strength. Women talk about strength today. There it is right there. True strength is trusting in God no matter what. And even when her husband failed her, God would not fail her. Amen? Her eyes were upon him. So now here comes Pharaoh. He must have known that all these plagues were because of Sarai. He also knew that a lie had taken place, that this wasn't a sister, it was a wife. So Pharaoh comes to Abram and says, what have you done? Why have you lied to us? I could have taken her as my wife. What have you done? How humiliating this must have been for the man of God, Abram. Because here is a pagan king who is evil and wicked, and yet he is rebuking the man of God because he lied. What a humiliation. What an embarrassment upon the man of God to be rebuked by a pagan king. And also, this man of God, Abram, he was supposed to be a blessing to other nations. Instead, he brought a curse and plagues and danger upon a nation. And so we see in this story, our sins that we commit, they are dangerous. And they don't just affect us, the ones who commit the sin. They have the ability to affect everyone around us in our life. Now, you can come up with any excuse you want for your sin. It's just a small lie. It was just a moment. It was just one night. It was just one thing. Nobody else knows about it, but I guarantee you that sin, it will infiltrate everyone around you in your life, especially the ones you love. You put everyone else around you in danger when you want to go off and commit sin. Husbands, when you commit sin, you bring danger to your marriage and to your wife, and vice versa. Parents, when you commit sin, you bring danger and a bad example to your children. As Abram moved from the altar, fear set in, and he invited danger. For many people, yes, but especially for his own wife, Sarai. And last, number three, the third result of Abram's move from the altar. The third result were the consequences that came out of all this. Consequences that would follow him for a long time. It says, now therefore, this is Pharaoh speaking, now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and get out. Go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And then in the next chapter we read that Abram went back to the place. He went back to the altar, and there he called on the name of the Lord. Now you might say, well then, everything's all right. No problem. It's done. It's our, everything's behind them now. Everything is now okay. 
No big deal. And not only that, but isn't Abram wealthy now? I mean, wasn't that a wonderful thing? Go down to Egypt, come out a wealthy, wealthy man. Not just himself, but his nephew Lot as well. I mean, don't you remember? Look what it says in chapter 12. Pharaoh treated Abram, this is verse 16, he treated him well. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And then in chapter 13, verse 2, Abram was very rich in livestock and in gold and in silver. So then, maybe, sometimes, it pays to sin. Wrong. No good thing will come from our sins. Look at these blessings, blessings that Abram received. You know, all that livestock he got and his nephew also got, when they went back to Canaan, they had too much livestock and all the people that were working for them began fighting with one another. And the only thing Abram and Lot could do was separate themselves from each other because all that wealth brought nothing but misery and fighting between the two families. So they had to separate. And Abram says to Lot, you choose. Wherever you want to go in the land, you go. And the Bible says that Lot looked, and behold, he saw Sodom. And he said, Sodom, it's just like the beauties of Egypt. I'll go there. You see, in Egypt, Lot, he developed this lustful passion in his heart, and he wanted something just like Egypt. He said, it's beautiful. It's well-watered. He's thinking more about his livestock than raising his daughters in that place. And we all know what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah not too long afterward. One of the slaves that probably came out of Egypt was Sarai's maid, Hagar. And you know the story of Abraham having a child with Hagar, Ishmael, and all the chaos that it caused for that family, and all the chaos it still causes today in our world. Lastly, when Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah, when Isaac grew up, do you know that Isaac did to his wife exactly what Abraham, his father, did to his wife? Say you're my sister, that it may be well with me. And all the same suffering and hardship and chaos followed. Now, I wish I could tell you, as we ended Genesis with Abraham going back to that altar, I wish I could tell you that Abram learned his lesson and never did something like this again. Unfortunately, he did exactly the same sin later on. So today, how do we conclude such a sermon? Musicians, you can come up. We can conclude, I believe, with this one encouraging truth. With all that fault and failure of Abram's life, the lying, the deception, putting his life into his own hands, with all that he did to mess things up, do you know that God was still faithful? 
to Abram and to Sarai. God made a promise to Abraham, and God kept true to that promise. God continued to carry Abraham. He continued to fulfill his promises. He gave him a son. He made him into a great nation. Today we call Abraham the father of our faith. God never cast Abraham aside. The good news is not what Abraham did or what Sarah did. The good news is God was faithful. And so let me leave you with these two verses. If you have sinned, whoever you are, I want you to remember the faithfulness of God. If you have made a mistake, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful to wipe away your past mistakes. But you might say, yes, I understand that. And I thank God for that. But what about the consequences in my life? Because I'm still suffering through them. Then I'll say to you once again, remember the faithfulness of God. And I believe his word for you today is Isaiah 41. God says, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Brothers and sisters, if you're in the trial right now, if you're suffering consequences now for past mistakes, then remember the word of God. This says, number one, I am God, and I am with you. And then he says, I will, I will, I will. I will strengthen, I will help, I will uphold you. You can face all that the world brings in your life because of a faithful God who carries you and who has not cast you away. As we sing this song today, let's worship the Lord. And maybe you can begin today by confessing mistakes that you have made to the Lord. Trust in Him for the forgiveness, but also ask God to help you and to uphold you as you walk through life as a fallen creature, suffering the consequences daily of the mistakes that we make. God can bring you through as He did for Abraham and Sarah. Praise the Lord. Sister Verna, would you lead us?